Hey, it's Miles here. And before the show starts, uh, many of you have been curious about the work that I get to be a part of at, at Onsite. And so I just wanted to give you a glimpse into who we are. Onsite is, is known as a worldwide leader in the personal growth and therapeutic workshop space. We're just fortunate to work with an incredible team that creates life-changing experiences that assist individuals and families and couples into becoming more self-aware, empathetic, compassionate, and, and resilient, and just overall raising our emotional intelligence so that we can become better versions of ourselves and enhance our relationships. So whether you're feeling burnout or life just seems a little out of balance, or whether you're trying to overcome some adverse circumstances that you experienced along the way, we've got some really cool workshops uh, that we offer year round that we'd love for you to learn more about. And we also help stay plugged in and get you resourced for counseling and other great resources in your area as well. If you want to know more about us, check out onsiteworkshops.com or you can find us on our socials at at onsiteworkshops. I've been looking forward to being a dad literally since I was five years old, probably. Um, and I do always remember, like, that's just something I've always looked yeah. forward to. And, and it has fully exceeded my expectations. And I mean, you, you can't, yeah, it's just it's the magic, like I said, it, uh, it's a, a thousand times more beautiful than I imagined. I'm trying really hard to make sure that everything in our girls' lives and, um, and in my marriage with Kate, that we, we just can always talk about everything and i think that that's that's been hardwired into me from wow. somewhere and i always want to i think that i've brought that into fatherhood and, yeah. and, brought, and i feel like with parenting every decision that we're like oh my gosh like what do we do with this when it comes up we're always doing it five years in advance basically Hey guys, I'm Miles. And I'm Ruthie. And welcome to the Unspoken Podcast, where we believe that saying the unsaid may be the hardest, but one of the most important things we can ever do. Yes. Our authentic self is the best gift that we have to offer this world. But sadly, we live in this culture that tells us that we should hide it. So we would love for you to join us and listen along. And we hope that you might find connection and healing in the courage that no important words go unspoken. Make up fake love, make them all laugh Come on, someone, take off your mask It's nice to me Today on the podcast, we have Ryan O'Neill. Ryan is a Chicago-based singer, producer, and composer who makes music under the name of Sleeping at Last. His music can be heard frequently on many popular TV shows and films, such as Grey's Anatomy, American Idol, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, and many more. He has also scored feature documentary films. And in 2013, Ryan began Atlas, which is an ongoing series of new music to be released over the course of many years. He also has the Sleeping at Last podcast, in which he explains the process and inspiration behind his music. He is currently hard at work on Atlas Year 2 with 25 new songs which explore the themes of human development, sense, emotions, and a song for each of the nine unique Enneagram types. Ryan is such a gift. I heard his music and his podcast, and I was just so touched by the work that he does. And I was like, that man's kindness just bleeds through the speakers. And I tracked him down. I was like, we have to record him on the podcast. So we're just so excited to share this empowering conversation with you all today. (laughs) 
part of what we're hoping to do on this, with this conversation, with all these conversations is, is everybody knows you as this brilliant creative and they love your work, but I really want to know who's the guy behind the magic. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that's a a really amazing question. I don't think I've ever asked myself. I don't know Mm. where it began. I have, um, I've always loved animated film. (laughs) So, um, obviously as a kid, I grew up with Disney, Disney films and I'm that my passion for Disney is, is slightly embarrassing. <laughs> no <laughs> but, such thing. <laughs> thank you. I think that that's probably my earliest memory is watching, um, I'm not sure which film it would have been. I know uh, the very first album or the first CD that I ever bought that drew me into not only music, but also my love for, for storytelling telling and film uh, was the Lion King soundtrack. So I remember being very emotionally moved by several songs on that. And I remember as probably like a eight-year-old or whatever, the, the hair on my arm standing on end during Circle of Life or whatever it was. And so that's my earliest memory of falling in love with the capability of music, that mm-hmm. it can, it can, this invisible thing can somehow physically have an effect on my body. And yeah. I just love that idea. I'm like, I want to do whatever that is. I want to do that as much as I can. I mean, actually, to be fair, it started with me wanting to also look cool because guitar no looks doubt pretty cool <laughs> you pulled that sweet. off nailing it <laughs> no that didn't work but then i thankfully <laughs> fell in love with uh, the craft of writing songs <laughs> uh, what do you think that because that is such a poignant uh story in movie the lion king what do you think uh the eight-year-old that had the hair stand up on his arms and you said had all this emotion what do you think circle of life was telling him at that time what do you think it's oh, a great question i think I think it's the power of melody was mm. what was doing it for me. Cause I, it's weird when I listen to music, I don't hear lyrics. It's like the eighth thing I pay attention to. Although with, through my music lyrics are like the number one thing that I put the most time into. So it's, it's a very strange, like the way I, the way I think about music is totally opposite of how I'm hearing it or the way I'm writing it is opposite of how I'm hearing it. Um, so I, I think for the Lion King, it was, and I actually noticed I can, I can remember that every album since then, I would always gravitate towards the ballad. Uh, I just love the ballad. I never liked the the more poppy songs or the right. more, um, not even upbeat, but the more like fun. <laughs> I don't know if that's just my my, my the sorrow inside me <laughs> latching. I'm like, I like feeling sad too. <laughs> listen to the soundtrack. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was the power of melody that struck me because every every mm-hmm. album or every piece of music that I bought after that, um, I would gravitate towards the ballad and. I just I think I realized that along the way I'm like that's the kind of music that I love, and I think it truly is melody based. It's a mm-hmm. it's a something. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but it's something I'm still very much in love with and trying to yeah. trying to reach out for. I love that. You know, it's so interesting. I never thought about that before, but I'm so auditory and I'm so affected by sounds. Oh, cool. So great and bad like if i walk in a restaurant and it's super loud and i'm or the lights it's all the senses i'm like super extreme that's awesome that's like the volume is turned up on you which is so beautiful it's so high (laughs) it's so high like i was at a conference last weekend like a friend was clicking a pin and another friend was chomping gum and i was it was at the liturgist gathering i'm like i can't hear anything they're saying because i want to jump out of my skit like but i resonate with that i do i have a little bit of that yeah but when i I hear music. I'm so deeply affected by music. Have been from day one. I like sing before. I can't sing, but I sing before I spoke. I don't hear the words at all at first. I get oh, the sure. feel, yeah. how it feels, if it feels good. Yeah, to that's me. better language for it. That's how I feel too. It's yeah. like it's the feel. It's not I even never, the melody. It's just the feeling. Yes, and then and that's why I loved your podcast because then I went back 
after I listened to it probably 20 times and then went back and listened to the words about the seven and then heard your details about. So it was this layer, which was so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I feel like I'm going to go home and write songs (laughs) and actually lower some of my confidence issues. Just like a little bit. It'll come right back up. (laughs) No, seriously, that's really sweet to hear. Uh, A friend of mine was telling me, because I was was very nervous to try to rep, at least in these Enneagram songs, to try to represent different perspectives. And um, he was saying that, and I think this is actually one of the flaws of the type nine, but it's also hopefully one of the gifts is that this idea of merging where I like, I, I so want to create some sort of, it's probably, I want to say peace, but I think it's actually more of a lack of conflict. I don't want anybody to feel disrupted or, uh, I don't want to put anybody in a position of, of conflict, probably more so for myself, but also just, I just want to keep everybody happy. But that also means that I might become a little bit of the people that I I like absorb a little bit of that, of the people that I'm around. So I do think that thinking through each of the types as I'm writing these songs has, um, probably been, a little strange for, I mean, my wife has actually commented on it several times. She's like, so you're writing this four song and like, you definitely like, you're super four right now. (laughs) I haven't heard the song, but whatever, like everything I know about the type four is you're kind of like, you're taking on that energy a little too much. (laughs) You made, you, you made reference to that a couple of times and I can, I can really relate to it. The first time was back when you were talking about creating the project and you said, uh, the last thing I would ever want to do is for people to think I created something that didn't understand yeah. them. Yeah. And then thanks for sharing that last part about how that's the last thing you want to do is, is lean into conflict or, or just, where, where does that come from for you? Have you, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, it's probably if I, if I didn't get it right, the reality of that isn't the end of the world. But to me, it does feel like, it feels like I'm, I'm, failing the people that are hoping to feel understood. But it also feels, it, it probably is a form of conflict that I'm trying to desperately avoid by making sure that I do my do my due diligence <laughs> per type. And um, But that's, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I, sure I, my, I, I avoided it. I still do, but I've had to make it a practice because I run uh, an organization that has a lot of people in it. And yeah. with people, you can't avoid conflict. If you do, it cost you. It cost me for years, and we finally started doing it more. It costs you in relationships too, but yeah. and it serves you in a lot of good ways. It too. does. It's interesting. But I, I, mine came from my my imprint with my family. We just didn't do conflict that well. We were happy if everybody was happy, and if they weren't, we didn't talk about it. And <laughs> you just put it put it in a different area. And yeah. we've learned later on to do it a little bit more. And that's the one thing I'm I'm curious about because that. I love the Enneagram, but sometimes I think we stop there. We're, we just put us into the nine box or the four box or the three box and don't get curious as, where did that come from? If I oh, were to track yeah. that back. For sure. And I, I think actually my first skepticism of the Enneagram, I was like, oh, good. Another way for us to excuse our bad behavior. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm just an eight. I'm just a six or whatever. And I, I think... What I love about the Enneagram, um, and I, it's two sides of the coin, because as I'm working on this, I'm realizing that, oh, this is this is a very beautiful tool, tool. to understanding how how to love people better. And I, I, I absolutely love that um, most about it. But it also it also can be, um, if you don't do the actual work, right. it's just another shorthand for putting people in, in that box, right. and which is exactly like the thing that I was skeptical about in the first place. And so... It is an interesting, I'm starting to become, I've so loved focusing on the Enneagram and I'm very excited to 
let it naturally be a part of my life as opposed to right now where it's like everything I'm reading, everything I'm thinking, every, like I, I can't have a conversation without accidentally like bringing it through. <laughs> Same. I'm like, oh, it's interesting. <laughs> and I, I've done it to a point. My wife had a friend over the other day and for some reason I just thought that they had at some point talked about the Enneagram. There was some sort of basic understanding of what that was. And I was in very much of a deep like studio mood because I work from home. My studio is at home. I was in this very antisocial space of just kind of like I walked walked upstairs and I, I'm like, oh, hi. And something came up. I'm like, oh, interesting. Do you know what type of Enneagram your husband is or whatever? And she's like, en- any- what is it? And I'm like, and I wasn't ready to talk about it. And it just, it fell off the rails so fast. <laughs> it was just like, oh, it's this thing that's like, like you understand. Uh, and she's just like, this is, what this is happening? very scary. <laughs> Whatever this is, I have to go. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm ready to be, um, I'm ready to let it naturally just be a part of my lens as yeah. opposed to part of um, my it's, I mean, sleeping it, and breathing. And yeah. It's an amazing tool. So I, yeah, I don't mean it really to pick on it. It really is an amazing tool, but it, it's just that. It's well, just it's a tool. tool. Well, but every, tool. every tool has two different ways to use it. You can use it to guard uh, yeah. yourself, which I see a lot in certain circles. It's just, oh, yeah. Uh, or you can use it, uh, as you said, just love people better and have and more love empathy. love yourself better. Yeah. I feel like I love myself so much better because I understand certain things. And I also have to say, oh, I'm not bound. Like before, it's like, I just thought I was going to eat my feelings for the rest of my life. And that's just what I do. And then I learned about these parts of me. And now when I see myself doing that, I'm like, oh, this is me trying to push down pain. I don't. I can lean into something different. Oh, I don't, absolutely. And that it, awareness. The yeah. awareness oh that it gosh, gave yeah. me has helped me be so much more tender with myself. And when I'm more tender with myself and I'm not judging and shaming myself, I feel like I'm more quickly lean into it. I I can be aware, notice it, and then like turn and do something different. And that feels so loving to me. And just, I don't know. It's been such a sweet. I hope I feel that way after researching the nine a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm mostly just in everybody else's business. I haven't sorted my own baggage yet, but, um, but I think that that is where it is the most beautiful where it is. Mm -hmm. It it creates a a language or a shorthand for uh, seeing these different weird, like behavioral patterns in us. I mean, even for me, just the awareness of like, Oh yeah, my my need to avoid conflict is so deeply rooted in who I am that it it affects every part of my life. And mm. recognizing it, because I would when I f- was first learning about the Enneagram, I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I don't like to fight with people. Sure, I get that. Um, but as I'm really looking at it, like everything is a form of conflict in yeah. that I'm that I'm pushing aside or, mm. or trying to keep the peace to a point of missing opportunities to use conflict in a really healthy and productive way. And yeah. I, so the language of the Enneagram has given me, um, it's just exactly what you said. It kind of a little ping in, in my mind. That's just like, yeah, you're doing that. That's that thing. Mm-hmm. That's that thing. Keep, don't do that. Maybe there's mm-hmm. some healthy conflict that is necessary right now, yeah. or maybe, maybe doing the hard thing is exactly what should be done right now, which mm-hmm. it, Usually is (laughs) such a bummer (laughs) as a nine. That's the worst news ever. But I love that you're offering this. And honestly, what I've thought about when I've listened to your other songs, how excited I am for women in the church to hear your song about eights. Oh, wow. That feels, I I, like, I I think about it specifically because I feel like, especially in the conservative Christian world, like eight women are really shamed. They really are. And it breaks. And even in the worldly sense, like that is not women. When if it's a man that's an eight, it's like that strong, amazing leader. Oh, totally. Yeah. And my girlfriends as eights, 
it has broken my heart. And I've watched how people respond to them and how they feel shame about themselves yeah. for being and trying to s- become a two at the church. I'm like, get out of here. You're so, we need you. We oh, need absolutely. you. Oh, absolutely. And that feeling that, that because they don't feel permission to, to be that strong and incredible force of nature mm-hmm. um, that they were born to be, um, yeah. I think that they... That's particularly hard for a type eight because it somebody's leaning into their their personhood like yeah. that's their that's their wire that, yeah. that's like their that's their DNA you know mm-hmm. what I mean that they can't be themselves they have to soften something that is that is appropriately sharp um, yeah. and and amazing so I, I it is interesting um, in in researching the type eight right now a giant group of my friends are eights it's very strange and but most of them are men. As a total side note, I have a theory because I'm a type nine, which kind of doesn't make any sense if you're familiar with the Enneagram <laughs> to be like, I just love eights who are not at all uncomfortable with conflict. They, right. It's part of how they know where, where things land and they know where mm-hmm. they know where the edges of everything are through it. And that's that can be a huge strength. And for me, avoiding conflict is such a... I think it works both ways. For me, it's actually like being around eights. It's fascinating to see them interact with the world in, in a way that I like don't feel like I can. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to um, necessarily, you know, like be as clear. Uh, well, no, I do. I, I, that, I, the clarity of the eight is what I strive towards, and I'm hoping I can borrow some of that as I'm learning learning about the type eight. But I feel like for me, it's almost like this this fascination. Like, wow, they're so amazingly like. <laughs> look at them. They they just said exactly what they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> You can do that. That's crazy. Yeah. But then for me, I, I was wondering, like, why? Why do eights ever want to be a friend with a nine, <laughs> or at least me? And I think what it is is like, is this is probably embarrassing. I think it's like a, they have an affinity towards children and animals. <laughs> so and so, I'm like, oh, I think I might fit into that category of like, there's there's a like they know that there's no fight with me. Like I'm not going to create any threats whatsoever. <laughs> so I think there's a, there's a little bit of a bond there. And so why do you think you're drawn? Cause it makes sense to me that a nine would, I mean, an eight would want to be besties with a nine that feels <laughs> totally appropriate. So, but it's interesting that I feel like that's you like leaning in. I have more. Uh, and I think this is actually, this happened with uh, writing the type one song too, is i I wouldn't necessarily have said I identify with much of the type one energy at all. And um, writing that song, I was like, oh my gosh, the, the, the inner critic is, that's a massive yeah. part of my everyday life. And yeah. so I completely resonate with that. And I think as I'm learning about the type eight, I'm also realizing that there is a there is some strength in um, when my momentum of whether it's sleeping at last oriented creating or um, even, even with my family, uh, when they're... When that momentum is going, it very much has like an eight energy. And so I, I do feel like I, I, I do have a little bit of that eight. Um, but I really want to, going back to what you're saying, I really, really deeply want to honor what I think is, I think, it, and I've heard this said a few times, but I, I, I think that tape, type eight is the, is the most misunderstood yes. type in terms of, uh, they're easily identifiable, mm-hmm. um, but only the caricature of that That's right. type is un- understandable, um, at least at a glance. And there's so much more going on, and so much more strength. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm hoping that I can I can do that, um, do justice to to those parts of the type eight, and not just not just the intensity of the type eight, which yeah. is a, can be a really beautiful thing. But mm-hmm. but for for women specifically, I 
I've actually been having more conversations with with um, women that identify as a type eight mm-hmm. than men because of that reason. Because I yeah. feel like even in the writings, it's all very male perspective. Definitely, and I really feels very think, masculine. Yeah, it's very masculine, yeah. and I think that the sweetness and the innocence mm-hmm. of a type eight that is that is inside every. I think it's inside every person, but I think the type eight specifically does a good job at yes. um, carrying this heavier armor. It's such a beautiful energy that has nothing to do with gender That's or right. any of that kind of stuff. So, Oh, I love that. I'm so excited for it. Thank you. I hope I, I did a little bit of work on it actually here. My friend um, David is uh, identifies as a type eight. And so I had him. So on each of the Enneagram songs, I have friends that identify yes. as their type to play an instrument or something or to leave a little fingerprint sound on, on each of these songs, uh, sort of like a little sonic flag in the mm-hmm. ground of, of these types um, or these, these Ennea songs. Uh, so yeah, it was really fun. So I got to, got to work on it a little bit while I'm in town. Hey, y'all. We want to take a quick break from the conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of the Unspoken Podcast, our friends at Nisolo. Yes, Nisolo is a sustainable brand committed to delivering handcrafted, ethically made shoes and accessories designed with comfort and functionality at the core without their traditional retail markup. I love how intentional this brand is. They are working to help combat climate change, and for every pair of Nisolo shoes sold, a contribution is made to help protect forests in the Amazon rainforest. Nisolo produces most of their designs in their own sustainable factory in Peru, and to offset their factory carbon emissions, they've partnered with the nonprofit Ecosphere to implement an insetting program. The program focuses on keeping threatened Amazon forests alive and protected while also creating sustainable livelihoods for its indigenous communities. Their work is so cool and not a lot of social impact companies have the results that they do. That's why I'm so impressed with them and I love their shoes, by the way. But in 2018 alone, the solo customers helped save more than 54,000 trees from being uprooted from the Peruvian Amazon. That's the size of like 62 baseball fields. Holy hell. <laughs> it's unreal. And one of the things I love about their branding is that the producers receive at a minimum beyond fair trade wages, health care, financial literacy trainings, and a safe working environment. We're so grateful to be partnering up with Nisolo in this way. We love what they're about and have been floored by their support of the Unspoken. And Miles and I are both huge fans and wear their shoes all the time. I brought you to the store for the first time yes, years did. ago when we first became friends. I've been a fan ever since. So it's so fun to partner with these guys and just be a part of the impact that they're making. So Nisolo is partnering with us this season to offer Unspoken Podcast listeners 25% off their first purchase. So go to nisolo.com and enter code UNSPOKEN at checkout to get 25% off your order of men's and women's ethically made shoes and accessories. That's N-I-S-O-L-O dot com and use Unspoken for 25% off your first purchase. All right, you guys, back to the conversation. You said, I haven't, I've been outwardly focused in creating most of this and haven't uh, chased any of my own baggage yet. Uh, Is that normal for you? Have you typically been outward and not so much internal or? I would say kind of jump back and forth. Um, The more internal... vulnerable songs so i have a i have a rule within my writing that is like it has to be true so even if i'm telling a story even if i'm telling a story from the type two or if i'm writing a song about um just a fictional story from from another project not even about music just about you oh just about me yeah 
I but it can just, be about music. I probably just like displayed that I'm avoiding that. <laughs> I didn't actually think so until recently. A couple friends, um, they mentioned something about like, you kind of keep things close to the chest. And I'm like, oh, really? I, like, I think of myself as kind of like, oh, you're going to get probably too much information. <laughs> um, but I think I'm, I'm more protective of it than, mm. than, I, than I realized. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I'm, I kind of fluctuate back and forth. There's seasons of my life where I feel like I'm a little bit more comfortable owning, owning some of my own internal world. Mm. And then um, other times where I'm completely just focus on everything else but yeah i'm curious it's not there's nothing wrong with it it's no just privacy no, no. is important and value so i'm just curious where it comes no i'm, I'm actually curious too <laughs> where it comes from I, I, if i could if i could write out on paper i would choose to be keeping everything that's inside a little bit more open and vulnerable especially in friendships and mm-hmm. and relationship i really want to make sure that i'm not withholding anything on on accident, I think. I think. Yeah, I'm. I'm realizing that I might be doing a little bit more of that than I than I realized. Hmm. But. I'm slow to warm up too, and I, because I vulnerability is kind of my job in a sense. And oh yeah, absolutely. swim in it all the time. I have to be careful because I can be so quick to go to the safe parts of my story or other story that oh, is vulnerable as yeah. a way to hotwire connection. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, that's interesting. And, uh, yeah. And then I have sure. to catch it because, you know, the three in me who's always, and I have to catch myself and back off and be what is really authentically true or mm-hmm. is this just me manufacturing vulnerability? Some of the language I'm borrowing is, is from Brene Brown. She, she's yes. written about some of this in her work, the hot wiring and manufacturing, I think is hers. But I think it's just so interesting that once you start practicing that, and I watch a lot of people who speak and teach who have recognized that it's now trending and they know I can engage an audience pretty quick if yeah. I drop into this part of my story or throw this out there. And therefore, it becomes just a little bit oh. on, on the border of inauthentic because you're doing totally it for the did. reaction versus... Mm. And, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of that. No, me. I'm totally guilty of that. Even with the Enneagram work, is it, it feels like sometimes when I get uncomfortable or insecure, like the language of Enneagram, I'm like, this might make me interesting. <laughs> and uh, that's yeah. not how you're supposed to use that tool, um, mm. as it turns out. But I totally identify that. I, I was curious, with your line of work, too, I almost feel like if you are in a profession of being around vulnerability all the time, I almost it's kind of like a doctor that goes to the drive through McDonald's every day. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, I wonder if is it vulnerability is so common in, in your world. Like, is it, is it easy for you to be vulnerable or is it, do you have to, in your own life access, uh, do you have to work on that or does it, does being around vulnerability make that a little easier? Both. Both. I've had to work on it. I still have to work on yeah. it because, uh, I naturally am wired to go towards, uh, guarding my armoring up and mm-hmm. not sharing emotion. It was my original. You always typically would go back to your original imprint and there's nothing, you know, I think people are too quick to look at their, the origin of their story and the parts that didn't serve them as mm-hmm. well. And just try to be like, you got to let it go and move on, mm-hmm. which I yeah. think is doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. It's not really letting go of it. It's just creating a different relationship with it. Right. So I know naturally that I'm wired to avoid emotion. Yeah. At all costs. Yeah. But yet I have conditioned myself and worked on myself long enough that I think I do a pretty good job of navigating it now. That's awesome. But but the real person to answer that question would be my wife. Yeah. And <laughs> because it, it's so interesting. And I, I've talked about this before, I think on a podcast, I know in other interviews that ironically, the place that can be hardest for me can be at home. 
Mm. And so because I do, I, you're right, I'm at work, I'm doing it all the time. Friends, I'm doing it all the time. Podcasts, I'm happy to go there. Yeah. And then sometimes there's I don't have a lot left in the tank when, I, when I get totally home, sense, yeah. which is the place I need it the most. Yeah. And for some people, it's the reverse. They can do it at home and can't do it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think it's just all based on what was our original imprint, what emotional language did we first have. Totally, that makes sense. And then even if you had a healthy imprint, we get culturally conditioned to kind of move that out of our being uh along the way. So it's, I think it's one of those things you constantly have to work at it. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. It makes absolute sense. And I'm constantly working on that too. Yeah. That's the part I was curious about because I, and and there is the fact that we've, we've spent time talking about some of where, where you're researching and some of your brilliance, like the Enneagram and you as a creative is amazing. Uh, But I am just as impressed so far with the guy that I met the first time, the guy that I've seen kind of behind the craft. Yeah, thank you so much. If we could uh, strip that back. No, we can only talk about the Enneagram. Enneagram, (laughs) creative. Not going there. I thought this was an Enneagram. (laughs) Of course. course. Tell us about about you. You don't have to give us your full story. Just curious, who who are you? Yeah, I. um, so I have two little girls. And um, a four-year-old named Lily and a two-year-old named Iris. And um, my wife, Kate, and I um, are parents. That's, I feel like that's, my, that's, the, that's the job I want to get better at. Um, mm. And um, I'm trying to think what other than like silly facts about myself. Um, I love watching movies. So when I'm not making music, I, I, I'm deeply deeply in love with filmmaking and I want nothing to do with it because I feel like it's still magic for me and music is too but um when I hear a song on the radio I, I hear production and I hear craft and I hear the vocal performance and I hear all these different things in addition to the feeling um but I I with movies I'm just fully on board like yeah I know I know quite a bit about um how movies get made and I've haven't shielded myself from that information but um but I still can be transported, and I, I love that. And maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's a, um, just taps into that a little bit of the child, uh, my, my love for Disney animation and, th- and things like that. Like, I feel like I still am, can be swept away by story. Um, other things about who I am. Hmm. What were you like as a little boy? What did you enjoy doing? I, so <laughs> I kind of have a, a bad memory I, I like I, I do too. So, so I wonder in the recreating of all of my memories. I know that we, it's kind of like copy machines. We you know every time we remember it, we're adding in a little bit of detail, a little the, the image, the yeah. the actual clarity is is fading. Um, and for me, it's funny. I, I can't tell which parts of my childhood are like, oh yeah, that's for sure in my head, or if I've heard a story about it. Yeah. But I think that I was pretty shy, and yeah. I was pretty. Um, mm. I I loved drawing and I loved uh, I wanted to be first I wanted to be a Disney animator then I wanted to be an NBA star um that didn't <laughs> That's pan a out big pivot. <laughs> yeah there's a little, <laughs> a little pivot there <laughs> just a little bit um one goal I, that I actually do remember was I wanted I think around I don't even know what age maybe I'm gonna guess seven I loved drawing little cartoons and I, I saw in the newspaper this a comic strip and I was like I think I could do that I have these little little stories that I want to tell and yeah so I, I submitted it to like our local newspaper. It did not make it into the paper, but that was my first uh, like. So I've always I've always been creative, and I've always yes. wanted to make things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was super into Ninja Turtles. I do remember that. Yes. <laughs> so I was homeschooled. I didn't mention that. Um, my brother and I were homeschooled, and that for us was a really 
beautiful um, experience. And um, other folks that I know that have had that have had very opposite experiences where that's mm. been the hardest and most difficult, probably trajectory choice of their life um, mm. that their parents made. Uh, but for me, I think that it has everything to do with why I get to do what I love. Yeah. Um, it gave me, it afforded me the support and time to properly fall in love with, with mm. making songs. So I love that. Yeah. Can I tell you a few things, like even just in listening to your words and your podcast and hearing your voice, I'm going to tell you the words that I thought of when I heard yeah. you speak. It was not surprising to me at all that you said your mom was an, like the ultimate nurturer because oh, cool. your words feel so nurturing. Oh, that's um, awesome. Your kindness oozes out of like your voice and the things that you say. So you're so kind. Um, there is a gentleness that feels very... Um, I think people in your presence, I'm going to speak for myself, but I think I'm pretty intuitive you feel very safe oh that's awesome thank you and I would say intentional like those are the words that just kept swirling like you feel so thoughtful and intentional and just the detail that you choose so that people feel seen and known and cared for like it just bleeds out of your work out of your voice out of your songs so I would just love to add those words to who thank is you. the man because yes, that is who you. I see so clearly oh and my gosh thank you very much yeah I'm very moved by that thank you you also have said a couple of things. This will be a perfect little scenario of our personality show. She's going to pick that out. And I'm going to go down this way. <laughs> um, but I picked out a couple of things too that you said that I appreciate, which is that you, you said you have a, a strong critic uh, early on. I and do. you yeah. said, and then when you made a joke too about that, your sadness may be, <laughs> I forgot exactly how you said it, but you that's not, the cracks. that's not all that uncommon yeah. though for, uh, a lot of really brilliant creatives mm-hmm. is that they have a strong critic and mm-hmm. that they have a bit of an empath nature. So they carry sadness in a way that makes them a conduit so that you can almost translate the pain of the world and others for all the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that with your, obviously your creations and in, in your music and all, but I, and it also, I, I think people who are drawn to story as this can be both their brains are wired that way. And it's a way to stop time especially Disney's brilliant at that. <laughs> yeah. But at or whenever time can stop with a story, it can be a little bit of an escape. And yeah. that's the beauty of music. It allows us to escape into another narrative that may not that's be true. ours. Or in your case, you're writing a lot of narratives that are really close. Yeah. And so I just wonder, I know there's a lot of um, creatives that, uh, that I would imagine look up to your work, but also really struggle with the sensitivity of being a conduit yeah. and the struggle with the critic. Mm. Can you relate to that? Yeah, and then oh, how it- absolutely. And I, I think that even part of what I was saying about how that, that support that I have through my mom and, and also through my wife, she's been a nonstop support as well. That is such a such an opposing force to that inner critic mm. that um, it actually counters. So even like negative things I read about my music, mm. which I'm, I'm very fortunate. I don't, I don't have, I know so many people that are, I feel like <laughs> there's a level of, success that you reach and you just are a target and i i haven't had that which i'm i'm actually really grateful for because i feel like i don't know if i can totally handle it um but i think that the 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 support of my my family has been such a counterweight to that Mm. and um but the inner critic is it's funny because i've noticed i've noticed quite a bit even as we're talking 
you're saying these incredibly kind things to me. And I like, I keep having to tell myself to receive it rather than to just like dismiss it. Yeah. Not that I'm dismissing you, but just yeah. like, oh, that's so nice that you think that. I'm not totally that way, but thank you for, uh, that's who I want to be. So thank you for telling me, you know, mm. um, and constantly have to retune my brain to being yeah. like, wow, receive that. That is not something that is, um, that's not manufactured and that's very kind. Um, so I do feel like my insecurities come out in every day. And with, with writing, it's an interesting thing um, because I do obviously have some sort of confidence that keeps me doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not just because people listen to it. If they didn't listen to it, I would still keep doing it because I, I, I really love expressing whatever it is in that, in that format or in that medium. And, and I feel obviously like it's something that I should be doing. And I wouldn't do that if I was so insecure that I would, you know, I, I just, it's not worth anything and I'm going to throw it out. Um, so I need to be doing it. So it's, it's this weird, um, I literally in the, in the writing of a song will go through all phases of, of confidence. I will, like the beginning will be like, huh, maybe. <laughs> and then after a few days of working on it, I'm like, this might be the greatest thing I've ever written. <laughs> Yes. And then get closer to the finish line. I'm like, I think that this might be not only the worst song I've ever written, but it might be the worst song of all time. <laughs> and, and so, and it, it, yeah. at the very end, it's it's everything. I'm, I'm yeah. feeling like I know I did my best. I also could have done better. <laughs> I also, you know, it goes up and down and up sure. and down. And then I let it go, and I I not like Frozen. Sorry, it's like every time I hear my girls love Frozen, <laughs> and so I, every time I hear Frozen language and what I say, I. I can't help but assume that it's connected to having seen the movie 4,000 times. Um, <clears throat> I'm that way with Baby Einstein right now. Oh, man, Baby oh. Einstein. That's a, that's a solid program. Brilliant, but I can see. <laughs> High on my to-watch list. Yeah. Um, Baby Einstein is pretty great. And, yeah, so I, I, I go through every step and phase yeah. of, of confidence in that, in that process. Um, and then eventually I release it into the wild, and um, I kind of forget about it. It's funny. I can't listen. I can't go back and if I have to listen to my music, like if I'm pressing it to vinyl and there's a test pressing that gets sent to me, like it's like this, this deep sigh of like, okay, I'm going to just go in there. I'm going to listen to it real quick. And I'm not going to think about how I wish I had done everything totally different. Mm. It's already done. There's right. nothing I can do about it. Right. Just let the inner critic close its mouth for a minute. And then I listen to it. And then usually it's not such a terrible thing. Yeah. I think I'm getting to a point in my life where I'm, I think the rule or the criteria of being authentic and um, attempting to be as genuine as I possibly can in my music gives me this sense of like, all right, I might have changed the piano melody or I might have changed something about the way I recorded it, but the heart of the song and the heart of like what I put down right. is what I want to share. Mm-hmm. So there is a little bit of confidence in that. But yes. but yeah, I, I don't know if that answered the question, but I, the well, inner it, critic is, is, a, is a constant passenger. Yeah. <laughs> well, two, two things you said there that are important. I think I, I really relate to having a struggle receiving. I've talked to Ruthie about this because she's just a master affirmer. I've never been around somebody who can see into somebody and yeah. speak into them the way you do. And uh, that's <laughs> one of the gifts of this being with her on this podcast is she just brings that light towards people. That's awesome. And you've done, she's done that for me as a friend and not just you, but I've gotten more comfortable with people that I really trust because I just trust their words. I know you know me. So you're nice. No fluff. You're just really honestly speaking. And then, uh, but when it's somebody brand new or so, and even if they're coming from a genuine place, I, I've learned to do what you 
did hmm. well. Not saying you were doing what I'm doing. I yeah. learned you you received, in other words, you said the right things. You're like, thank you. That is so kind. I do the same thing, but internally I'm just deflecting it right and left. Oh, it's is is have you figured out how not to do that? Because I would love to know. <laughs> how well, do you how do you fully how do you I was gonna ask you? <laughs> no, um, no, I think I think oh. the way I think you're probably better at it than maybe you may instinctually know, and 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 maybe me too, but you seem to have a relationship with your inner critic because you've introduced us to it. You actually said, I, I said something to us. Maybe you just shut up for a minute. And, but you didn't say, uh, it's not get this enemy, yeah. get out of my life. Yeah. It's almost like you've learned this rhythm or this dance. And I think that is a beautiful way mm-hmm. to handle insecurity, uh, uncomfortable emotions, fear. It's that that's, they're not the problem. It's no. our relationship with that's them. That's right. That's the problem. No, I totally agree. And I think for me in the last maybe, maybe two or three years, it occurred to me, and I'm, I'm sure somebody told me this along the way, but I get very nervous before I play in front of people, before I share anything. I, I get very nervous about talking to people on a podcast. Um, and I feel like the minute that that completely leaves the room or that inner critic takes a vacation, I feel like that's when I don't care. And I don't want to ever get to the point where I don't care. That's and I right. feel like the inner critic, if used keep in a humble way, may, yeah, That's I can right. kind of keep, like, I know when I put that song out in the wild, I care deeply about how how it thrives or dies. <laughs> you know, I want I want to make sure that it's, it's going to be okay. And mm-hmm. yes, it's a vehicle of myself, um, so I'm fully aware of, and that's probably a whole other conversation of my identity as part of Sleeping at Last, because it's, I've had some realizations recently where Sleeping at Last truly is my, it's more than just the thing I do. It's, it's, it's like yeah. my projection of myself mm. into the world. That's and, right. um, but I think that the second that I let that inner critic truly go away is when I, when I don't care, I would love to get to the point where we have such a good relationship, me and that inner critic that I can be like, now is not the time. And then I, oh, <laughs> I can no, feel I, good about doing whatever I'm doing. We have know? good dialogue, but I still hate that guy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes He's it can kind lock, of a jerk. Sometimes it can lock <laughs> me up, but I, but what a gift you just gave to, because I there are tons of creatives that come through onsite, for example, that are just locked down on creative block, yep. and or they've reached, uh, they've either run through the fire ring and they've hit all the success, and they got on the other side of it. They're like, now what? Um, yeah. Or uh, they they see it out in the future and can't get to it, and everything in between. And for you to say somebody who's successful at doing this and making a living and doing well to say your inner critic, it actually could serve you. Because yeah. I think most of them are trying to fight to get rid of yeah. it. Yeah, I mean that is—it's a natural instinct to try to get rid of it because it feels—it yeah. feels—it's very mean. Yeah, <laughs> it can... hurts my feelings a lot. Yeah. Um, well, the uh, the resilience. I appreciate what you said too about how your some of what you were raised with has taught you to lean on that when you do get. I don't, you didn't say this, but if, if if you were to get stuck or in a whole no, creative, that's exactly right. Yeah. Then that, I think that's so important. We help a lot of people. People are surprised when they come in to our process in as a means of trying to support them to become more professional or mm. I'm sorry, not more professional <laughs> as a means to try to help uh, support them to become better at what they do. Yeah. We try to support them being better at who they are. And yeah. that means anchoring in your, your, your base relationships. Yeah. So if you didn't get that growing up in your family, if you didn't get the nurture sure. that you know how to recreate or go back to, then teaching people how to create that because mm. ultimately that's our fuel for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really and is. I, appreciate you acknowledging that also the our the part i don't want to skip over that part where you said i recently you've had the revelation of sleeping at last being kind of your identity and that is such a common thing it actually comes up 
what we do comes up 90% of the time in the first 30 seconds of every new relation, new conversation. Oh, interesting. Isn't that something? So it's wow. typically the go-to, what wow. we do. Yeah. And one of the things we, we do when people come out to our places, we ask them not to reveal their profession for an entire week. So you've basically got 60 that. strangers yeah. for one week and nobody talks about what they do. That's super, it's a that's fascinating amazing, yeah. dynamic. But I, I'm the same in that... Uh, I get pretty over attached to my day because I love what I do. I yeah. absolutely love That's what I exactly do. I feel, yeah. And in some ways it serves me. And in some ways I, I, I look at it and I'm like, whoa, take away that and who am I? What do I got to talk about? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That, that's exactly what I think brought it up in my mind recently was like, if for whatever reason I couldn't do sleeping at last, mm. if, if that happened, like, like I think, you know what it was is I got sick and I think my voice was just it was gone for a little while and it, it, I wasn't too nervous about it. But then <laughs> the thought occurred to me like, Oh, wow. if I lose my voice, if I can't sing anymore, mm. like, sure, I can, I can write songs for other people. I can do all the, I, I will figure out a way if that were to happen. But my identity is so wrapped up into sleeping at last and into what I'm putting out into the world and how I'm engaging with what I put out in the world and how I'm engaging with the people that listen to what I put out into the world. Um, it's so deeply entangled with that that it's it surprised me and I don't mm. I didn't love the idea of that I'm like no I that should be my secondary you know like that that mm. part of, and I think it is I think obviously my family is without saying is my is my absolute priority but um this idea that's like wow so if I if I lost part of sleeping at last like that's a that feels like it's having my body <laughs> you know yeah. and I I I'm trying to figure out what that what that means I, I read a book recently called Essentialism. Um, oh, a friend so of mine, good. Mike Foster, recommended yeah. it. and I love I, Mike. I, yeah, me too. He's he's a spectacular human being. Um, and so when he told me to read it, I was like, all right, I don't even read very often, but apparently <laughs> I'm going to read that one for sure. And and I loved it. For me, um, it kind of brought all of, the, all of these different ideas or pieces of advice that friends and family have given me, and it created like this idea of essentialism. It created just a space for me, like a, a, a container for it, that mm. like now everything just kind of fits into that. So when I'm thinking about the priority of my life, I'm remembering that like, okay, as if I'm aiming to be an essentialist, which is to truly only give my time and my energy to things that I, I deeply love, I need to figure out what that list exactly looks like for me. And so, yeah, I've been, I've been trying to figure that out and um, helping me not waste a lot of time. Mm. And I, I hope that I can get better at that because I, I do a lot of time wasting and not even just like physical, uh, literal time every day, but I, I internalize like decision-making in, in a way that is, it, it's, it's kind of amazing how inefficient it is. All I want is efficiency, but the way that I make decisions it is like it is a multiple week project <laughs> where I bring it up in every conversation. My wife is she receives the majority of my Meaning like you, you analyze a lot. I analyze yeah, everything yeah. and yeah. to a point where um there is no right answer. Where like right. I've now I've eliminated I'm not just owning what I want to do or just saying thank you, no thank you. Um I am I am just processing in such a slow way. So anyway, all that to say is the essentialism that book has has just it's put a lot of things into perspective. And I think mm -hmm. as it relates to my identity in, in sleeping at last, it's giving me um, a lot to think about, a lot to figure out. Um, especially because with the end of the Enneagram songs, I'm moving on to the the, the next part of Atlas and um, and there'll be likely be a couple other things in between. And I'm, now I'm, I'm enjoying and also sweating the idea of like figuring out what is that? Like what yeah. is, what's coming up next for me? So mm. I'm very excited about it. But yeah, like, 
this this idea of essentialism is is it's a powerful book. Yeah, it really is. And the part you said earlier about it goes without saying, but my family's first. I I don't know that it does go without That's saying. That's true. There's a lot of people that uh, me being, I guess, one of them that I say that I don't. It's hard to live that as if that is the priority in terms of time management. Yeah, but I it. You, you seem to be such a family guy. I've heard you it, it, when you reference them. Your faith changes, uh, and so what? What's a? I do like them a lot. They're good. They're good ones. <laughs> what's a message you have if, if you were to, in a sentence or two or a paragraph, say here? Here's what I want you to know about my family. No effort. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, so Kate, my wife, as as a mom, watching her be a mom to our kids is like. It is magic. So when when Lily, our firstborn, was born, and Iris, um, both of those births were. It's just this. Uh, and I'm sure you had the same feeling. But there's this other otherworldly. Um, it's it's magic. That's the only way to talk about it. And so, my wife contains that magic. And as a mom, you see. I mean, she just. It's it's a really beautiful and special thing to to see our our little ones. Um, receive that as a mom because we we have lots of friends and family that the relation I, I think the mother father relationship with the kid is just so it can truly be the worst thing in the universe or the greatest gift in the universe and i'm so thankful that that she is the mom that she is to our mm-hmm. to our kids it gives me like like absolute peace about them becoming people <laughs> i'm just like oh Aww. I can. I mean, I'm going to be engaged as much as I humanly can. But if I couldn't, you guys are going to be great. Everything's going to work out. Kate's Kate's got Aww. this. Um, <laughs> and Lily, Lily's my my four year old. She is a literal beam of light. Like she just is like the uh, the the sweetest, and it's just so fun to watch her explore the world and and. Um, she's super into art, and so uh, oh. and that wasn't. I mean, we just. As soon as she could hold a crayon, she was going to town. <laughs> like she just loves it so much in a way that yeah, it's it's like being around that purity. I think is really mm-hmm. is really helpful. And then Iris is my littlest. She's two, and she is this tiny, this literal force of nature. <laughs> she is like she just she's so sweet and and also she's very tiny but she's huge (laughs) you know she's a massive personality and her opinions and if she feels something it's all out there and i I just i love that so much lily's a little bit more of a she keeps it inside and we have to we're always working with like how do you feel you know like we're trying to get her to feel more comfortable expressing it like if if Lily trips, she will say, I'm okay before she falls. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like in midair, she's like, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Iris is the exact opposite. She's before she hits the ground, she's like screaming, screaming her lungs out. And <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's really fun to get there um, to see their, their wow. beautiful dynamic and watching. Mm-hmm. I would say probably I would also include like watching their dynamic uh, as sisters is like, yeah. it's the greatest. It is, it's amazing. So, yeah. and I'm around, I, I'm fortunate enough, I work at home and I love um, my studio as actually, uh, it's probably eight feet away from their play area, which is logistically not the smartest thing <laughs> I've ever made. Um, but it, it, it gives me constant uh, access and awareness to mm. that, that beautiful dynamic that my little family has. So I can tell obviously how proud of them you are and, uh, and you, you've done such a great job at lifting up and telling us about Kate and your mom and all the people that have impacted your life. I'm going to 
give you a little challenge and see if you're open oh, to good. it. I love challenges. As a um, nine, I'm totally for it. I know. I shouldn't set it up that <laughs> way. That was a terrible way to do that. <laughs> no, this no. is my I favorite just, thing ever. I just invited resistance before I ever started the exercise. And it's weird. I just disappeared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gone. He's gone. I just in, moonwalked in, out of this <laughs> freaking room. <laughs> so uh, I would, if you're open to it. Yeah. Bra- I want to hear you brag on yourself as a dad oh, for a minute. So what do you? what makes you proud of yourself as being a father? Oh, that's so hard. That's so hard. Literally the first, even as I'm like, okay, good things, good things. I'm a, I have like eight negative like criticisms of how I am a, a parent. Cause I, yeah, I won't even, I won't even talk about that. I, like I, I want to work on my patience. I want to work on all these different things that I, I've been looking forward to being a dad literally since I was five years old, probably. Um, and I do always remember, like, that's just something I've always looked yeah. forward to. And, and it is fully exceeded my expectations and i mean you you can't yeah it's just as the magic like i said is a, it's a, a thousand times more beautiful than i imagine i'm trying really hard to make sure that everything in our girls lives and um and in my marriage with kate that we we just can always talk about everything and i mm-hmm. think that that's that's been hardwired into me from wow. somewhere and i always want to i think that i've brought that into fatherhood and yeah. and, brought, and I feel like with parenting, every decision that we're like, oh my gosh, like what do we do with this when it comes up? We're always doing it five years in advance, basically. Um, what? How do we handle this idea of, you know, whatever it is? And I think that I always bring to the conversation that it will be a conversation and that's that's the gift of time and being a parent mm-hmm. is that we get to wow. we get to figure all this stuff out as it's happening wow. it's not we don't have to even in the the beauty of being pregnant for nine months there's so much fear and built up like anxiety of how how are we are we gonna totally screw this up or are we gonna how are we gonna do it well and mm-hmm. but that nine months is exactly the right amount of time that we need to to figure it out you know and you don't figure out that's the beauty of it so day one and i i was telling a friend recently that i just i love the design of human beings that children don't remember much after two years or before two years or maybe it's like a year and a half i can't remember i've read about this somewhere and i think that that design is so amazing because it it affords us this time so i think that i'm always bringing us back to the exactly the moment that we're in and my wife is very future-minded which is a huge asset for our family um but i think that i I bring a little bit of a a grounding force to Mm. our like yeah we'll definitely have a hard time figuring out that big thing when whenever that milestone happens and i think we're going to have exactly the amount of time that we need we need to like do that as best we can so i don't know if that answers your question but do you crush it i got one more and i'll just this is something called doubling which is i'm going to say something because it's something i've observed in you and i'll say it as a sentence as if i'm speaking for you you can shake it off or put your own words in it or you can say yeah (laughs) Yeah. i love my kids really well i I was gonna say i want to love my kids really well because i i but i think i am I love my kids really well. Yeah. yeah. I do. I believe that so fully. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm holding back the thousand things that I'm just going to follow up with. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to get better at it tomorrow. No, no, no. It's, not, I mean, it's, it's a gift that you can analyze. Honestly, don't, don't beat yourself up for that because I can do the same thing. I can yeah. be hyper analytic and I little got some training in being an analyst. And so yeah. I love breaking down scenarios and thinking that, but I, Chrissy 
could tell you, Ruthie could too. I am quick to go there and I see such a gifting in you and everybody else does in your art, but I just wanted to know the human behind oh, the art. And thank you. The way you talk about your family and just talk about uh, humanity and it's, uh, you're such a gift. And I just, I hope uh, you can feel um, as proud of you or work uh, I'm you so we'll work at it feel, feel as proud of you as I would imagine your daughters are oh thank you and your wife and your mom oh my goodness I cannot even imagine oh, I feel gosh. swollen for you and I don't even know you my heart is swole thank you so that that seriously is so sweet yeah yeah. Just made my year. You well, made ours. Well, thank you. Is there um and and now thank you for I know you you shared say I get nervous before I do stuff yeah. like this and I appreciate you going there with us mm-hmm. and talking oh, you about you guys make it easy you really do. Because we're lovely human beings. Well, thank you. And and I I don't I want to come back to now some of your brilliant work and see you could just give some of our listeners some of what's to come. Uh, I think <laughs> Ruthie shared a little bit about what we're going to share links and whatnot of yeah. some of what's out there, but uh, what could you share what you're working on or what you're excited about that you Yeah. Think? Yeah, for sure. So, um as I mentioned, I'm currently knee deep into writing type 8. Um I'm probably uh since we're we're nearing the holidays uh it probably is a january completion date for that song um and then i'll be working on type nine as i mentioned and then after that i've got i've got a few experiments that i want to try uh with everything from a project in between atlas three and and atlas two as as i mentioned but also I'm, i'm really excited about um just playing around with the idea of return and this probably actually fits into the idea of the being not very confident so i i don't play a lot of shows i i've over the past maybe five years i've just i so love writing and recording that i i though i love the idea of sharing those songs live and giving them a new a new uh perspective and and I love the idea of the ephemeral quality of playing a song live and then it's gone i mean i guess you can record it on your phone but you know what i mean you could only be in that room one time. So I love that idea, but I've, I've, I've retreated a little bit away from it. I'm a little bit of an insecure performer, and I, I, I want to, I think, a project that I'm excited to try to um, figure out is just to, to fit that into a healthy place in my life. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that I have to perform all the time. It more, it more means that I just want to... I don't want it to be a, a... I don't want it to become a monster. Because <laughs> like, sure. I used to tour all the time, and... Um, Though I, I really do prefer writing and recording, uh, it just is, especially with a family and everything, it just is, it's a, it fits in every way that I, I just, I really enjoy it. But I, I want to also be able to, like I was thinking about the other day, Lily has seen me perform in front of people maybe twice, and mm-hmm. she's four, um, and Iris hasn't seen it at all. I mean, she hears me around the house, and she sees me playing songs for them but i think that the i it's just another part of my identity that i want to make sure that i'm not like i'm not teaching them to be too insecure to do whatever they want to do and i Mm -hmm. i don't i don't like my insecurity in that to to kind of come through in any way so i would like to i've got a couple ideas of ways to um to get me really excited about playing a version of performing that I'm yes. really, really looking forward to. So I might, yes. I might explore that in 2019. <laughs> yes. I, might, I love that I might story. totally bail on it, but you never know. Oh, Ryan, I want to, 
we want to, I'm going to speak for the we, support you in however we can to help you make, like, we have this beautiful network of friends and pockets all over the country. And I know that I know that I know our friends would (laughs) die to hear you perform. So please, I would love to help support you and help make that happen and That's to so share kind. it with our friends and let them know when you're going to be in city. So please let us know I when will, you do absolutely. do that because I want to help support you in making that happen because I believe in you so much and I know what you bring to a room is so special. And oh, so for someone you. to wow. get to experience you in person, like it is such a privilege and such a oh, gift. Cool. So however we can help support you in that, that's very easy. I, Thank it you. would be such an honor. Thank you so much for that. Seriously. Yeah. That's most incredibly generous. Yeah. Thank you. I think you've, uh, you have shared some gifts for creatives for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I was just thinking through some of the things that you've dropped into this conversation and, but just the humanness you bring. I mean, Ruthie, I think shared, she said, we have to interview him. I think we'll be better just being in a yes. guy like that's oh. presence. And I, I agree. I just think the, I appreciate what you do. I hope you keep doing it. It's changing lots of lives out there, but I really appreciate who you are, mm-hmm. the Thank presence, you. the way you show up. It's been a real gift. Yes. It means so much. Thank you. Make up fake love, make them all laugh Someone, someone, take off your mask It's nice to me Thank y'all so much for being with us today. We know your time is valuable, so it truly means the world to us that you would spend your time and energy with us. And thank you for being willing and open to walk right into the tension of saying the unsaid. The music from our podcast is from one of my favorite bands, Oliver Riot. And this song is called Alcatraz from their EP, Hallucinate. I cannot speak highly enough about these musicians and friends. Check out their beautiful music on Spotify and online. And a huge thank you to Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio who edit and mix the show. If you want to learn more about The Unspoken Podcast, please go to theunspokenpodcast.com for show notes and more information about the guest. And feel free to follow us on Instagram as well at The Unspoken Podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe to keep getting more inspiring conversations with incredible people delivered straight to you. And for those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, please consider supporting the show by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We can't wait to share with you all of the upcoming conversations with some really special people. And we hope these fill you with the hope that we might all find connection, healing, courage, and the strength to leave no important words unspoken.